Uh, The reading is taken from Galatians chapter 4, starting at verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, are like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Installment 8 of Galatians. And boy, do we have a passage for ourselves tonight. Um, I was thinking as I was given this part of Galatians how wonderful it was that as a soon-to-be father... Um, I was able to work on a passage that talks a lot about family and sonship and motherhood. It's a great passage. It's a joy of a passage. And by the time you get to the end of it, it would be great if we could see that Paul is painting a really beautiful part of the gospel. He's getting right to the heart of the gospel. Right, let's go. Um, And as we do this, as we go through Galatians 4, 21 to 31, always keep in mind that Paul is ever only really saying one thing in this letter. Remember that. He's only ever saying one thing. And that one thing is that you are saved by grace alone through faith alone in the substitutionary work on the cross of Christ alone and not through works. As such, you are no longer slaves under the law of the old covenant. You are now sons and heirs of God. And the people who are preaching faith by works, if you remember, are the Judaizers. Now, these are Jews. Let's recap this. These are Jews who claimed to be Christians. And they are preaching that the new Christians need to go back to being under the law of works and circumcision. That's Paul's one point, and and that's not changed. The question then during the whole of Galatians is, why would you go back to being a slave under the law when you are free in Christ? And the application during Galatians is, don't. Don't go back to being under the law when you are free in Christ. And that all makes sense. But then Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes Galatians 4, 21 to 31. And the first question we ask is, what on earth is going on here? Now, don't panic. It may seem like an odd passage, and we do have to do quite a bit of work on this tonight. Okay, so really stick with me. Okay, we're really going to work through this carefully. But as we do, always remember that one point that Paul is constantly talking about, works of the law and flesh 
against life by the Spirit and by faith. Now, before we get into it, before we read it, and before we uh, look through it, let me pray as we start. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you and praise you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your gospel. Thank you for these wonderful truths that we'll be looking at tonight. Heavenly Father, I just pray as we go through this tricky passage, I pray that um, you would illuminate it to our hearts by your spirit and that what I say doesn't confuse but, but may help. Lord God, we thank you that your gospel is good. We pray that we will be excited and encouraged by what we read tonight in your word. We pray all these things in your mighty name. Amen. Now, it's going to help us, before we go anywhere near Galatians 4, 21 to 31, that we start tonight in the book of Genesis. Because Genesis is where we find this story that Paul mentions of this slave woman and this free woman and their children. So let's do that now. Let's turn to Genesis. We've been doing a lot of Genesis lately. This is really good. Um, Genesis um, on page 8. Let's start there. And I'm going to try and piece together the historical story of Sarah and Hagar and Abraham so that we're absolutely on the same page as Paul, so that we know what he's talking about in Galatians. Now, it's quite a long story with lots of interjections, so we're going to be jumping around a bit. So do follow in your Bibles if you can. That will be great. And forgive me if this takes time. Uh, You may know this story, that's fine, but I think it's really good to do it properly. And if nothing else, as a helpful reminder of what's going on with Sarah and Hagar. Now, we start off, as we did a couple of weeks ago, in Genesis 12, where we see the promise of Abraham given to him by God. Now, let's read that again to refresh our memories. Genesis 12, verses 1 to 4. Now the Lord said to Abram, his name hasn't been changed by God yet, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you will all the families of the earth be blessed. So Abram went As the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So, God is to start a new family line through Abraham. And his children are to be a new nation that will receive God's blessing and will be under God's rule and care. This, we know, is the nation of Israel. Great. Now, turn with me to Genesis 16, verses 1 to 4, just over the page on uh, page 11. This is moving on in the story. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, her name hasn't been changed by God yet, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went to Hagar, and she conceived. Now jump to verse 15, and we get the end of this bit. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore to him, Ishmael. 
So Sarai, um, Abraham's wife, in a fit of panic and frustration that the promise given to her husband that they were going to have this huge family all the way back in Genesis 12, she thinks it's not going to come true because she's not able to conceive. Therefore, she gives Abraham her slave, Hagar, as his wife, and Hagar conceives, gives birth to a son, and he is called Ishmael. But that is not what the promise to Abraham was meant to look like. Let's go to Genesis 17, verse 15. Again, just over the page. Genesis 17, verse 15. And God said to Abraham, whose name has now been changed, it now means father of nations, a sign that the promise still stands. Something is still going to happen. God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Now, notice the language spoken over Sarah by God is very similar language that was spoken over Abraham in Genesis 12. In other words, Abraham, God says, my promised children are going to come from my doing through your barren wife, Sarah, and not through your doing through Hagar. Abraham and Sarah laugh at this. Look at verse 17. Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham says to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Oh, that Ishmael, in other words, might be the one in whom your promise rests. And God says, No. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. This is remarkable. Sarah is not only barren, but she is very old. Her life-giving abilities are over. She is doubly unable to conceive. Abraham tries to tell God that Sarah conceiving isn't really possible. Perhaps God should use Ishmael as the future line of children. And God comes back with no. Again, my chosen family will come through barren old Sarah, not through Hagar. And then we get to the climax of the story in Genesis. Genesis 21 verses 1 to 3. Again, over the page. Genesis 21, 1 to 3. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Now, very simply, can you see what's happened here? Hagar, the slave woman, is given to Abraham, and she bore him a son in the flesh, and his name was Ishmael. Sarah, the free woman, bore Abraham a son through the promise of God, and definitively not by the flesh, as that was impossible, and he was called Isaac. The promise, as Abraham and Sarah assumed, was not to come through the child of the slave woman, Ishmael. 
The promise as God kept promising was to come through the child of the free woman by his means. The promise of this future family given to Abraham was to be a work of God alone, was to be a work of promise, not a work of the flesh. Now turn with me back to Galatians 4, um, 21 on page 974. And let's read these first three verses again. Verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. We now absolutely understand what Paul is talking about. We get that. And more importantly, the people reading this letter would have absolutely understood what Paul was talking about. But in some senses, that's the easy bit. The next bit's a little bit harder. Okay, have we all got that up until that point? This is what's going on. We're talking about Hagar and Sarah, and we're talking about Ishmael and Isaac. The question now is, why does Paul mention this here? What is Paul doing with this historical story? Why, in the realm of Paul's argument about works of the law and grace, does Paul talk about Sarah the free and Hagar the slave? Well, this is where Paul turns to next. Read with me the next few verses in Galatians 4, verses 24 to 26. Now, says Paul, this story of these two women and these two children may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. Right, now, hang in there. This might seem incredibly odd, and it might be a little complicated, but it makes a lot of sense. Let's work through Paul's explanation carefully together. Now, first of all, Paul says that what is happening in Genesis can be read allegorically, meaning that what happens to Hagar the slave and Sarah the free is not just historical fact, but it has special purpose and meaning to what the promise of God now looks like. We're going to come to that later. Secondly, Paul in heavy detail goes through what this allegory of Hagar and Sarah is. And he does this in a very linear way. And to help us with this, we've got a table. I'm going to move over here for this. This is all very exciting. I've never done this before. I really hope this works. If it doesn't, it could be a disaster. Never mind. We have a table. On your handouts, you'll see that you also have a table. And... um, Sometimes I just think these kind of passages are helpful um, where we can actually see it working out, okay? Um, Don't feel that you need to fill it in. Um, I I think it helps me. It helped me a lot doing this. I hope it helps you. Um, Derek Trainer said to me at the end that you should all have to hand them in to see if you've got it right. I think that's a great idea. So um, we're going to work through this. We're going to work through these two women and what they represent and why they represent what they represent and what on earth that has to do with what's going on in Galatians at the time and for us now. Is that all right? Great. This could be a lot of fun or a disaster. First of all, Paul says that these two women, Hagar and Sarah, are two covenants. 
Now, Sarah, you'll notice, isn't actually mentioned by name, but it is who Paul is talking about. She's the the other woman. Um, And Paul mainly is focusing his attention on Hagar, which is what we're going to look at now. Now, go back to verse 24. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. That woman is Hagar. So as we fill in our table, we have Hagar, who is bearing children for slavery because she herself is a slave. Hagar, the slave woman. Now, the slave she gave birth to is Ishmael, and she did so according to the flesh. So we have the woman, who is a slave, and we have her son, a slave, born according to the flesh. That is what we saw in verse 23, the son born to Abraham according to the flesh, in the ordinary way. Now, as a side note, Hagar and her children, the Arab peoples, they become the Arab peoples. They live in Sinai. And the people of the day um, in, in Galatians would have known that. It makes sense then that Hagar represents the covenant that is from Mount Sinai. Now let's stop there for a moment. Why is Mount Sinai significant in terms of covenant? Because that is where the law of the Lord was given, wasn't it? Back in Exodus 20, where the the Ten Commandments are handed out to Moses, after the Hebrews have been saved from Egypt through the Exodus, the giving of the law all happened at Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai, then, is incredibly important to the Jews. This is where the Mosaic, or Sinaitic, covenant was given. This is where the covenant of the law was given to the Jewish nation. But as we know from the whole of Galatians, this was a covenant of works and flesh. A covenant of thou shalt and thou shalt not. And in exactly the same way, Hagar is a mother through works and the flesh. Get that? She is a mother through an act of the flesh, something that was done physically. So Hagar, who is from Sinai, Paul is saying, represents the covenant that is from Sinai, meaning she represents the covenant of the law of Moses. And just as Hagar is a mother through works and human will, so too is keeping the Sinaitic covenant. It is a covenant of works, having to be kept through human will. She represents the Sinaitic covenant of the law. And she further represents this covenant of law because just as Hagar herself was a slave and gave birth to a slave, so it is the same with the Sinaitic Mosaic covenant of the law. Now, we know that's true, don't we? Remember Galatians 3.23 from a few weeks ago. We were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. And in Galatians 4.1-2, you were no different to a slave under the law. You are under guardians and managers until the date set by your father. Now, can you see how Hagar is then the perfect person to represent the old covenant? The old covenant meant slavery to the law as she herself was a slave. Furthermore, all her children were slaves like Ishmael. So, therefore, anyone who will insist on being in bondage to the legalism of the law is like a child of Hagar, enslaved. Now, this is Paul's point here. Stay with me. You're all kind of glazing over it. You're doing well. This is good. Just as any child of Hagar is a slave and a product of an act of the flesh, so then likewise, Paul is saying, anyone who is a child of the Sinaitic Mosaic covenant of the law, they are also a slave, striving by the acts of the flesh. But it doesn't stop there. Paul goes on. 
Verse 25. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. We've covered that. She corresponds to the present city, Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. So then, Hagar not only represents a work-based covenant of the law based on Mount Sinai, that is, bearing children for slavery like Ishmael, but she also represents a city, and that is the present city of Jerusalem. That means that is the, the physical city of Jerusalem, the one that was actually physically standing in the land of Israel as the capital city at the time of Paul writing this letter. Now, why is this significant? Well, Jerusalem is incredibly important to the Jews. This is where the temple is, and the Ark of the Covenant is, and where the Holy of Holies is. This is where all the celebrations and festivals happen. This is where the law is read. This is where the Jews call their home. In short, Jerusalem is another name for the mother church, if you will, of Judaism, the center of the Jewish religion where the Judaizers come from. Jerusalem basically was another name for the people of God themselves. But attaching Jerusalem, the holy free city of Judaism, to Hagar, the slave mother of the Arab nations, reveals that Paul is claiming Jerusalem to be a city of slaves. It is a city bound to this covenant of Judaism. Hagar corresponds to the present Jerusalem because she, that is Jerusalem, is in slavery with her children. Now that is profound language for a Jew. This is really quite blasphemous. And this is the point, because remember who Paul is talking to. Paul is talking to Christians who are being tempted by the Judaizers that they need to go back to being under the law and being circumcised. In other words... They need to become Jew-like. Further remember that the Judaizers are Jews who claim to be Christians and follow Christ, but instead of only living under Christ and being free from the law, living under grace, they want to show that works of the law are necessary for salvation, that being a Jew was necessary for salvation in that sense. And in doing that, the Judaizers claim Abraham, They claim Moses. They claim the covenant of law as being incredibly important for salvation. They claim Sinai. They claim works of the flesh. They claim Judaism. They claim the home of Judaism, the present city of Jerusalem as the spiritual place to be. And can you see that as they do that, as they claim to all these things they hold so dear, Paul says, you are claiming to be sons of Hagar. In other words, spiritually speaking, you are Ishmaelites. You are claiming to be a part of Hagar's line, the slave line, not the real free line of the Jews under Sarah. In short, Paul is saying, by detailing the history of Hagar, you are not the free people of God at all, as you supposed. Spiritually born into the line of Sarah. If you cling into the old covenant, you are spiritual children of the slave woman, Hagar, who represents the old covenant. Does that make sense? Can you see that? What Paul is effectively saying here then is, you Judaizers and followers of Judaism in Jerusalem, that which you hold to so dearly, 
Spiritually speaking, you are slaves. You are sons of Hagar. You are Ishmaelites. And as much as you think you are free because you come from the physical line of Abraham and Sarah and Isaac, you are in fact instead spiritual children of slavery. The line of Hagar and Ishmael, the line of works and flesh and deeds, the line of legalism. And that is what Hagar represents, children of the present city who are legalistic slaves. In short, you are not the real people of God. To the Judaizers then who hated the Ishmaelites, this is shocking. This is an incredible kick in the teeth. It's like calling an Israelite an Arab. It's like calling a Jew a Gentile. This is your motherly line, Paul is saying. This is your status. Slave, prisoner, Ishmaelite. Can you perhaps fathom just how outrageous this was to hear for the Judaizers? Now, we've had to do quite a bit of work to get to this point. They would have got it instantly. Yes, Paul say, says you physically come from the line of Abraham and Sarah, but you are spiritual sons of Hagar because you hold to the covenant of works. Wow. And this is why Paul explains all this in this way. He's not being clever or convoluted for the sake of it. By using the example of Sarah and Hagar, he's making a very profound point and one that really hurts. He's striking right at the heart of everything the Judaizers has lived for, their very identity, their very family line. Now let's recap. Forgive me if I've complicated it more than it should, but I think this makes sense. Just as Hagar was from Sinai, so she represents the covenant of law given at Sinai. Just as Hagar the slave produced a slave, so the covenant of law only produces slaves. And just as Hagar tried to produce God's promised son through Abraham, through worldly means, through ordinary means, through a human's will and an act of the flesh, we see that Ishmael fails to be in the promised line of Abraham. So it is with those who live under the law, who strive to keep it through worldly means, through ordinary means, through human will, through acts of the flesh. So too will these people fail to receive the promise of salvation and freedom found in the line of Abraham. They cannot be called sons of God. But what about Sarah? Now, Sarah, on the other hand, is free. She is a free woman. Sarah is, in verse 26, the city of Jerusalem that is above. That's her city that she represents. She is our mother. What is this city of Jerusalem? This is the new Jerusalem, the city of God, the heavenly Jerusalem, the new Israel. In other words, the worldwide church. The new family of believers that is defined neither as Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. It is also ultimately the Jerusalem we will get to upon death. The spiritual home that is granted to us as part of God's incredible inheritance as sons and heirs of God. And we inherit this because like Isaac, who was born through promise and not through works of the flesh, that's her son, so we too are made sons through promise and not through works of the flesh, saved by grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. This is the eternal Jerusalem starting now with us as the worldwide church. 
And this is what those who are of faith are born into. This is the real line of Abraham. Those spiritually born to Sarah, the free, who gave birth to Isaac through promise and not through works, just as we are sons and heirs through promise and not through works. As Christians, then, Paul is saying, Sarah is our spiritual mother, not Hagar. Sarah represents, then, the covenant of promise based on faith, not the covenant of works or law, housed in the Jerusalem above, which is the worldwide church, not the present, now entirely redundant city of Jerusalem that no longer means anything spiritually anymore. She is a covenant which is producing children who are not slaves, but free, born out of an act of God's grace through his promised Messiah by the Spirit, not by acts of the flesh or works of the law. In other words, Christian, you are an Isaacite. This is your status. Galatians 4, 18. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. You are citizens of the new Jerusalem, the church. You are free. You are of Sarah. She is our mother. You are born, like Isaac, by promise into freedom. Don't go back. In Galatians, Paul only has one thing to say. As children of promise, don't drift back to being children of the flesh. As Isaacites, don't drift back into being Ishmaelites. As new Jerusalemers, don't go back to being part of the present Jerusalem. As people of the covenant of grace and faith, don't go back to being people of the covenant of works and strife. Two women, two sons, two covenants, two cities, two families, only one line gets you saved. That's what Paul is saying. And what does Paul do with this incredible news that as Christians we are found to be spiritual sons of Sarah? He rejoices. Verse 27. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now this quote is from Isaiah, chapter 54, verse 1. And it obviously relates to Sarah here. The one who um, was barren and now rejoices. The desolate one who has more children than Hagar, who was able to conceive through the flesh. But when Isaiah wrote it, he wasn't necessarily thinking of Sarah as such. He was thinking about Jerusalem. When Isaiah wrote this, Jerusalem had been raised to the ground and her people had been carried off into exile. But Isaiah, starting with this message of rejoicing, says to those left behind, don't worry. God has promised that there will be a new Jerusalem. And he's not talking talking about the, the earthly one that the exiles will eventually come back to, but the Jerusalem that is above. The one we were looking at earlier, a Jerusalem that will be filled with far more children than the old present barren Jerusalem could ever have. And this happens when men, women, children, people of all kinds from every society, from every language, from every nation over the entire face of the earth become Christians through faith in Christ by his grace and not by works.
By faith, people are made citizens of the new Jerusalem, and that is who we are. That's what Paul is saying. And what we are has significant consequences. Read with me the last few verses of tonight's passage. You've done really well. Galatians 4, 28 to 31. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of the promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Now, to a certain extent, this is, this is Paul's summary sentence. And it does contain some hard language. And in order to understand this, again, we need to go back to Genesis. But let me, for sake of brevity, um, paraphrase of what Paul is getting at. First of all, the persecution of the son of the spirit by the son of the flesh. What's going on there? Well, back in Genesis chapter 21, verse 8 to 9, we see Hagar and her son Ishmael laughing at Isaac when Abraham throws a feast for Isaac. Now, the word laughter there, the Bible commentators say, means um, a deliberate uh, public show of contempt and disgrace. That's what's going on. And so just as Ishmael, the slave, ridiculed and showed contempt to Isaac, the free, so Paul is saying, this is what is happening to you right now in Galatians, Christians. You have been saved from being under the law through promise and not through works. But those Judaizers who want to to go back under the law, who themselves are under the law and striving by works, they are publicly ridiculing you. They are publicly disgracing your stand in Christ. Indeed, they find you contemptible because you are in Christ. In short, these Judaizers aren't just annoying, they're persecuting you. That's how serious this issue is. This is why Paul has written one letter that deals with this one issue. Don't be persecuted by legalists. You're being ridiculed. And what does Paul say they should do in response to this persecution? Cast them out. This is difficult language. Genesis 21 verse 10. The very next verse after Ishmael has ridiculed Isaac. Sarah casts out Hagar saying, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. This is hard language. It's not a comment on how well Ishmael was looked after. God meets with Hagar and Ishmael and blesses them both abundantly in the desert. But they are not to be in the line of the covenant of promise. They can't be because they are people of the flesh. Only Isaac can be party to the covenant of promise because he is of the spirit. And so as Hagar and Ishmael, after ridiculing the promise, Isaac are cast out, do likewise with these Judaizers, Paul says to the Galatians. Do not entertain them. Do not countenance them. Don't listen to them. Don't let them keep getting at you. Get rid of that teaching. And that is what he says to us. Don't be taken in by people who tell you that you need to earn your salvation. Don't be taken in by that. Cast out that kind of teaching. And this finally is where the lens turns on us. Because the question is, what does it really mean to be a Christian? What does it really mean to be free? It means then we are to live according to the promise. 
It means we are to live according to the Spirit. It means we are to live according to the cross. We are to live in total and utter dependence on a loving God who has promised to rescue and save us through his Son and by his Spirit, just as Sarah had to live in utter dependence on a loving God to give her a son by his grace and by his Spirit. There is nothing at all Sarah could have done to have got a son. There is nothing at all that we can do to get us to receive salvation. For you tonight, is Christianity still a matter of what you're doing for God rather than what God is doing for you and what he has done for you? How many of us as Christians still insist on living a life of an Ishmaelite working away at life, working away at the law, finding that we're coming up short all the time. How many of us really think that what I do and what I strive for will produce salvation? That what I do and what I strive for has some effect on how I am viewed by God? This is living this legalistic life under the covenant of law. And as we've seen, the covenant of the law is the covenant of Hagar that demands works and hard graft, and that it only ever keeps you a slave. We also see that the pain of Hagar is bearing the pain of having to work out salvation that never pays off. You end up being expelled from the line of grace, cast out. However, the joy of Sarah is receiving through grace real salvation in Christ. You end up being dragged into the line of grace and you are called a son. And what does that look like? Looks like it's always looked like. What we've always been talking about as we've been going through this book. It means I don't have to panic about whether I've done enough in the day for God's favor. It means that I can pray in dependence on a good God who has my day sorted. Seeking to live honest lives, unhindered by what people think of me, by what God thinks of me, by what facade I like to display on others. Living a life of vulnerability that says, I know I'm not sorted and I'm not perfect, but Christ has saved me through his grace alone. Alone. 